0: Thank you for being with us on Alien Talk Podcast, where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs, and where we push the limits of our understanding. We are your hosts and inquisitors, Joe Landry and Lori Olford, and today is the second part of our show, Mormonism and its Extraterrestrial Connection. Our special guests, Ryan and Mike, are here with us again to resume our discussions about the extraterrestrial themes that are found in the beliefs and teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, Laurie, last week we discovered a lot about the Mormon religion and what would be described as an uncanny similarity to ancient Egyptian and ancient Sumerian mythologies. Uh, this is probably something that most people don't know about, and maybe even some Mormon people uh, don't know about, as it is kind of uh, encrypted and esoteric, don't you think? Oh, yeah, I think so, Joe.
1: Um, you know, We're learning a lot about Mormon beliefs and doctrines. I, for one, am really seeing the impression that our ancient alien ancestors have left on religious thinking uh, of its founders like Joseph Smith, Oliver Crowdery, and uh, Brigham Young. You definitely get the sense that those guys had some kind of encounter with extraterrestrial beings, uh, ones that were meaningful enough to inspire a new faith that now has a following around the world that's almost 17 million strong. Now, on last week's episode, you referenced uh, Joseph Smith's visitation being like a recorded message. After the show, I kept thinking about that, and immediately thought of the hologram projection of Emperor uh, Palpatine from Star Wars. Um, how he would appear before Darth Vader in that distorted bluish look, uh, color hologram.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: even yeah, even though that was like a small size little communication thing, the one in The Force Awakens was like much bigger. So remember where, where Snoke you know communicates with Kylo Ren, and his right. hologram appears to be huge. Yeah. So so I began to wonder about that. Um, If Joseph Smith was telling the truth, a big F, then instead of this being an angelic or spiritual kind of encounter, it would make more sense then if it was a holographic projection. So a spacecraft could have been hovering high above the ground, transmitting this projection down to his window, you know, three to four times throughout the night, making sure he understood this message. So something like that would have been forever grilled into his mind you know, depriving him of sleep for a while. Um, there are other stories of encounters of a third kind causing people to have a kind of sleep paralysis where they're between the states of dream state and of being awake. So it was uh, some very, very interesting stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it sure was. So uh, Ryan and Mike, we welcome both you guys back again. It's great to have you here.
2: Hey, thanks for having us again. I really enjoyed last week's conversation and looking forward to this week's questions. Hi, guys. I'm thrilled to be back.
3: Uh, Hopefully, I have a better internet connection this week.
0: No worries. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, Ryan, you know, you mentioned last week that you were once an elder in the Melchizedek priesthood. To me, this conjures up a sense of mystery, as uh, Melchizedek is the uh, name of the sort of uh, shadowy character from the Bible who first appears to Abraham when he was still named Abram in Genesis 14, 18, uh, here he is said to be the king of Salem, uh, or Salam, which it just means the king of peace. And he is also said to be a priest of the God Most High, and gives a blessing with bread and wine. But the reference to the order of Melchizedek uh, is found in a few other places, like in Psalm one ten four and in Hebrews six twenty and 7, 23-26. Uh, so now in Christianity, Jesus is the culmination of Melchizedek as the priest forever in this order because he is said to be sinless. It's said a little differently in Doctrines and Covenants, where the order is said to have uh, once, at one time stopped and was then reinstituted by the early Mormons. So Melchizedek goes very far back in the history, long before the events um, that are mentioned in the, the narratives of Nephi, and Moroni, uh, when overdose was supposed to have set up, taken place. And it goes possibly as far back to the time when the Anunnaki and the Nephilim uh, may have been here. So the question is do you think, uh, on some level, that that is the reason why Melchizedek is so important to Mormons?
2: Yeah, I, I do. Uh, it's, it's, it's very important in the Mormon religion. Uh, the Melchizedek priesthood is, is a higher or greater priesthood. Well, there's a second, is the ironic Priesthood, which is the Lesser Priesthood. You know, Joseph Smith received all this information and teachings by claiming to be communicating with Jesus Christ. And he uh, documented all this in the Doctrine and Covenants. You know, uh, God first had revealed the higher priesthood, the Priesthood, to Adam. And the patriarchs and prophets in every dispensation had this authority. That's recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 84. Um, it's was First, called the Holy Priesthood after the order of Son of God, it's a long title, it, but that later became known as the Melchizedek Priesthood, and that was recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 107. And it's believed that they, they they shortened it to call it Melchizedek Priesthood, so we wouldn't use the Lord's name in vain so much. You know, the Holy Priesthood after the order of Son of God, it's a more a respectful thing. But you know, when the children of Israel failed to live up to the privileges and covenants of the Melchizedek Priesthood, the this. The, it was taught that the Lord took away the higher law and gave them a lesser priesthood, a lesser law. And that was in the, you know, Dr. 84. And these were called uh, the Aaronic priesthood. And then also the law of Moses, you know, the 10 commandments and such. But when Jesus came to earth, God then restored the Melchizedek priesthood and to the Jews and began to build up this church among them. And in, you know, Jesus says that he's the new law He's the higher law. However, the priesthood and the church were lost again through the dark ages and through apostasy, and the Melchizedek priesthood was pulled, was taken away again. But then later, once again, you know, Joseph Smith. It was restored through Joseph Smith as the prophet to bring the last dispensation here on earth. Um, within the Melchizedek priesthood, there are offices of elder, high priest, patriarch, seventy, and apostles. Um, the Melchizedek Priesthood will always be part of the Kingdom of Earth. Like the Mormons believe it's not going to be taken away again, and it's believed that um, they're capable. So, the Mormons believe that the men, who, only men, can receive the Priesthood, and they actually have are able to act with the power and authority of Jesus Christ as He was here on the Earth. You know, they believe they can heal the sick with the Priesthood. They believe they can discern truth and pretty much have all the power and authority
0: as Jesus Christ once had on the earth. Uh, Mike, were you also in this priesthood?
2: I
3: was, uh, I was actually an elder uh, in, even though that kind of sounds impressive, it's really not Uh, the term, (laughs) the term elder in the Mormon Melchizedek priesthood uh, is actually the lowest office of that priesthood. And, uh, the priesthood is available to every worthy male in the uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, I was actually ordained an elder when I was 18. Um, Joseph Smith uh, taught that these priesthoods were restored by visitations of resurrected beings. He said that John the Baptist ordained he and uh, Oliver Cowdery to the Aaronic Priesthood next to a river. And then he later says that uh, the resurrected Peter, James, and John gave him the Melchizedek Priesthood, but he doesn't really give a lot of specifics for that visit.
0: So we're not really sure who or what Melchizedek was. Uh, depending on who you ask, he may have been a real person or he may merely be some kind of theological construct used to impart a sacramental meaning. But in the Church of Latter-day Saints, there is another priesthood. Uh, when you guys talked about this, uh, named after Moses' brother, the high priest, the, the Arianic priesthood. So why are there these two priesthoods? And you may have touched on this already um, What do you think relates to some kind of greater mystery for humanity's far distant past? Perhaps even having something to do with the Anunnaki or the Nephilim.
3: Uh, You know, the way it was always explained to me is that the Aaronic priesthood is a preparatory priesthood. Uh, Most of the things that you could do uh, with that priesthood were very controlled. Um, It's actually pretty boring. Uh, something I've discovered after I've left the church is that a lot of the early church was based on a very magical worldview and, you know, could there be more of a connection to the Anunnaki or the Nephilim or even the sons of God you mentioned in a previous show? You bet. Uh, but the church kind of went through a process in the seventies, uh, called correlation that seemed to strip away a lot of the weirder aspects of the church, and the church now seems pretty bland, and it seems like it's kind of trying to cover up the less mainstream history. If there were those deeper connections, you might be able to find them in in books. Like uh, there's a book by someone named D. Michael Quinn. Uh, he wrote a book called Early Mormonism and the Magical Worldview. Uh, but you're definitely not going to find that kind of thing in the current LDS church.
0: Oh,
1: interesting. Yeah, it is. So guys, uh, we get the impression that the early Mormons were telling us something similar about Kolob, as, you know, we touched upon last episode, as to what the ancient Sumerians were telling us about Nibiru, their planet, or the Anunnaki's planet, and to what some Jewish mystics were telling us about another planet called Olam. So that is where God resides. And it would take us thousands of years to travel there, like 3,500 per the Jewish mystics, uh, and of course, through the Sumerians, it was like 3,600 years, so pretty close. Um, it, it makes you wonder, why would Joseph Smith, way back in the 19, 1820s, come up with something like God being from a star system or a planet? Um, he even had a name for it, just as the Sumerians had a name for it. Where where do you think he got that idea? Um, could it be that he had studied Egyptian and Sumerian mythology? Um or was he well-educated in things like science and, and history?
3: So a common, a common claim for Mormonism is that Joseph Smith was an uneducated farm boy. He only received about three years of formal schooling. However, he was not uneducated, and he was certainly not unintelligent. Uh, his father, his mother, his grandmother, his brother, and even his first wife, Emma, all worked at various times as school teachers. His brother even attended Dartmouth at one point. Uh, From my point of view, he was a great aggregator of thought. He pulled from so many sources to create the doctrines and teachings of Mormonism. He studied theology, Hebrew, history, and science. Uh, Let's even look at at Kolob, the the star that he said um, God resides on. on. Uh, He used the words Kolob and Kokaobim. Uh, They appear in the book of Abraham and they're interpreted respectively as sun and stars or sorry, star and stars. Um, These could be genuine Hebrew words. Kolob, um, like I said, that's the star nearest to the throne of God, is maybe supposed to be the Hebrew word Keleb, which means dog. And it might it might be that it was meant to be the star Sirius, uh, you know, the the nickname, the dog star, which, again, is the brightest star in the northern hemisphere sky.
1: We'll be back after a quick break.
2: Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell.
1: Okay, yeah, um, that's interesting stuff. So I, I'm definitely seeing the Kolob connection now. Uh, Caleb, the K-E-L-E-B, or the Caleb, K-E-L-E-V, is where some believe the Bible name of Caleb's, the C-A-L-E-B, came from which means devoted to God, but also has the connection to dog, uh, meaning to, of dog. Uh, this is interesting because the Dogon tribe in Africa believed their gods came from the uh, the, Sirius star, the Sirius star system, Sirius B, the dog star. So their lore is eerily similar to other religious myths about half-fish and half-men type gods. This is also found in the Sumerian account about Inki waiting ashore, uh, after splashing down in the Persian Gulf thousands of years ago. And as we stated in previous episodes, myths and religions can trace the similarities of gods uh, back to the ancient Sumerians, uh, ancient Sumer.
2: Yeah. It's, I think it's important for us to remember that, you know, Mormonism is a very instant religion, that the books and scriptures are not of ancient origin, but they were all created in the 1820s and 30s. You know, we don't, there's no proof. There's no physical proof of, of scrolls or golden tablets or anything that Joseph Smith, you know, produced. And these are all his own writings. Um, the volumes of scripture that Joseph Joseph Smith produced have mostly been plagiarized from Old and New Testaments. I mean, in the Book of Mormon alone, there's 433 um, verses from Isaiah that were just plagiarized, you know, word for word. And it was heavily, and the Book of Mormon was heavily influenced um, from books like The Pilgrim's Progress, uh, written in 1678 by John Bunyan, Um, another book called The View of the Hebrews, which was first published in 1823 by uh, Ethan Smith, and The the Late War, which is an account of the War of 1812, which was written in the style of the um, old King James Bible. And there are many other examples how Joseph Smith copies stories out of his family's journals, his father's journal. There's one where his father's journal, 19 years before the Book of Mormon was written, um, describing a very popular uh, revelation that a Mormon prophet re- received called the Tree of Life. And there's there's much more of that kind of plagiarism and speculation from that. You know, it's, it, Joseph Smith did have a, a, a fascination with e- with Egyptian history and Egyptian um, Hieroglyphs. You know, he claimed to be able to translate all things Egyptian. And he claimed that the golden plates were even written on a reformed Egyptian language. And when he he came, in, when he came into possession of some of the Egyptian mummies that we talked about on last episode, and he claimed to, to translate those scrolls that were in the coffins, which are now the Book of Mormon, you know, or, or now the Book of Abraham in the Progric Price. You know, Joseph Smith also created his own Egyptian alphabet. That uh, he wrote his own hier- hieroglyphics to use to translate you know, scrolls and documents on papyrus that, that he would find in, in. So, but much much of Smith's work is just is really disputed by any kind of Egyptiologists.
0: You know, and you know, said you said. Uh, oh, sorry to interrupt you there, but yeah. but um, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, and I, I I do see you know the similar style now that you mention it. I, I just thought of that, it's like you know, yes. After reading the passages from the Book of Mormon, I do see. A, a real, um, you know, likeness uh, to that—that mm-hmm. that novel, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, very interesting.
2: <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. of people don't know that all these—all these books were available to Joseph Smith at that, that time. I mean, like uh, Mike said earlier, he was educated um, and he was around books and, and education all the time. This—they were involved in school education. But um, yeah, and, and just you know, this reformed Egyptian that he claimed that the Book of Mormon was from was never been. Um, recognized by any um, scholars except for what, like, and, and all non-LDS scholars agree that there's there's no such language as Reformed Egyptian. They can't prove it.
1: Hmm. I remember, Ryan, when you first gave me a copy of the Book of Mormon, and uh, I, was af- I was afraid at first to bring that into the house (laughs) but uh you know but when i did you know i did read it and i i i could see the similarities and it it i I believe i even told you that it sounds like he rewrote the old testament like it was just Mm -hmm. different you know it just it just matched the old testament so much but there was something about mormonism that has always fascinated me is the belief that jesus christ came to the americas after his resurrection so it makes me wonder if Jesus could have been involved in establishing establishing uh, uh, Teotihuacan in Mexico, known as the place of the gods. So hear me out. Uh, Jesus was resurrected in 33 A.D. and Smith believed right after that, around 34 A.D., that he arrived on this continent to uh, appear before the Nephites. Could it could it be that that cloud uh, said to have received Jesus at his ascension was you know none other than a ship? that brought him over here after that resurrection. Uh, perhaps after completing his mission in Judea, his next assignment was to meet with the other gods to oversee the construction of the Pyramid of the Sun in Mesoamerica 63 years later, you know, which would be circa 100 AD. Now, I think he could have done this. Uh, according to the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus lived in Egypt after his birth. So he would have had knowledge, I think, of Egyptian culture which meant he possibly understood how the pyramids were constructed. It's not impossible. Um, also, as a carpenter by trade, Jesus would have known how to build things, right? So I, I don't know. I, I think it's possible for, for this to have happened. That's just my view. So what do you guys think? Would, uh, would Mormon see a parallel with what, what is written in the Book of Mormon with the Aztec myth? Um, and could Jesus have been a part of the building of Teotihuacan? I mean, what are your thoughts?
3: For sure, Mormons would draw parallels with Aztec culture uh, or ruins or anything they could to make a connection with Mesoamerica. There's actually a cottage industry of tours in Mexico and uh, Central America that cater to the LDS uh, LDS people wanting to visit places that they think are part of, of Book of Mormon heritage, including Teotihuacan. And, I I specifically remember reading books when I was a kid comparing Christ's visit in the Americas to gods like Quetzalcoatl or the Incan gods of Peru like uh, Contiki, uh, Viracocha, Tunupa, uh, Pachacamac, Tarapaca, or Arnuan. Um, By the way, I, I actually pulled the names of those Peruvian deities straight from the church's website. I do think that it's interesting that uh, God in the scriptures has been associated with clouds and pillars of fire, um, you know, just like a, a yeah. Anyway, uh, in the Book of Mormon, it even describes Jesus descending down from heaven uh, when Christ first appears.
1: Uh, that's amazing because, you know, I've always wondered because of the connection with uh, Jesus coming over here after his resurrection. And I always wondered if if there was a, a great Mormon flock Uh, amounts of Mormons flocking to South America just to visit those places. So that's really interesting because I believe Jesus was a descendant of a Sumerian God. Um, the God of the Bible who he referred to as his father was either Enki or Utu Shamish, but, uh, Quetzalcoatl is believed to also be an Anunnaki God. He like the Greek Hermes and Egyptian thought are gods of wisdom and knowledge. So since Jesus referred to the Old Testament God as his father, it would be Enki or Yutushamish. In other words, um, was Jesus then Quetzalcoatl? Um, I mean, it it just may be. But tell me, Ryan, I I think it's in the third book of Nephi that there is a description of a cataclysm, a terrible fiery explosion that that, uh, afterwards brought, was it three days of extreme darkness? Um, Do you think he was writing about a nuclear blast?
2: But now that you mentioned I, I I can see how you would compare it to a nuclear blast. Um, yeah, there was a great destruction right before Jesus Christ came to uh, America, came to the Americas, uh, described in the Book of Mormon. You know, when I, I proselyted in New York City as a, as a young missionary, I shared that Book of Mormon story, not as like a punishment or a, a nuclear blast, but it was like this tender mercy that Jesus Christ would actually minister to the sheep that are not a this fold that was like mentioned in John ten sixteen, where he says that and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold and them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and they shall be of one fold and of one shepherd. And that always touched me that, you know, Jesus would wanted to preach to the whole, um, the whole world, not just to the Middle East. Here, let me read some the passages from, the from that third Nephi. Um, I'll let your listeners decide what they think if it was, a the, the let them describe it. Um, I'll start in the fifth verse. It says, and it came to pass that in 30 and 4th year, in the first month, of the fourth day of the month, these arose a great storm, such as one no one had ever known in all the land. And there was also a great and terrible tempest, and there was a terrible a thunder, inasmuch much that it did shake the whole earth as if it were about to defy the sun. And the city of Zarahemla did take fire, and the city of Moroni did sink into the depths of the sea. And the inhabitants thereof are drowned. For behold, the whole face of the earth um, was changed. Um, And the highways were broken up, and the level roads were spoiled, and many smooth places were rough. And many great and notable cities were sunk, and many were burned, and many were sunk until the buildings thereof had fallen to the earth, and the inhabitants thereof had slain, and the places were left desolate. And there were also some cities which remained, but the damage thereof was exceedingly great, and there were many of them that were slain. And thus the face of the whole earth became deformed because of the tempests and the thunderings and the lightnings and the quaking of the earth. And it came to pass that when the thunderings and the lightnings and the storm and the tempest and the quaking of the earth did cease, for behold, they did last for about the space of three hours. And then there was a darkness upon the face of the land. And it came to pass that the thick darkness upon the face of land, as much as the inhabitants thereof had not fallen, could feel a vapor of darkness. And there was not any light seen, neither fire, nor glimmer, neither the sun, nor the moon, nor the stars. So great were the mists of darkness, which was upon the face of the earth. So, yeah, I mean, if you put that in perspective of uh, our descriptions of nuclear bombings, it does sound like a nuclear holocaust to me.
1: Yeah, after hearing that again, uh, as you're reading, I, I was like, yeah, that that definitely does sound like a, a nuclear holocaust to me as well. So um, Lorenzo Snow, you guys are familiar with, because he was the fifth president of the Latter-day Saints Church, once stated, and I quote what he said. He says, as man now is, God once was. As God is now, man may be. This tells me that maybe they, as in the, the church leadership, knew about some secrets that were withheld from, from us, uh, like lost knowledge maybe. So saying that God was once like us, is that another way of saying that God is a flesh and blood being? And the same is said for Moroni. But is that what was taught to the new followers back then, you think?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, Lord, we've, we've talked about this a lot. And, and I think it kind of reminds me of how, wrap my mind around it is that my favorite teaching in Mormonism was this law of eternal progression. You know, the, the the end goal of Mormonism is gaining a physical body and gaining new levels of knowledge that will, that will allow you to become like God. You know, the ultimate goal of, of Mormon spiritual development is to become a God or a goddess. And we're constantly progressing and gaining knowledge and glory and making and organizing, you know, spirit babies and planets, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, so what, how it goes is they believe that before this earth existed, that we were organized from eternal matter and into spiritual beings that were sent or born into this earth to gain a physical body, only for us to live this, live this life and then die and then be resurrected into a perfect body of, and continue to progress in the afterlife and become a god, just like the god that organized the spiritual matter in the first place. So you, so you eventually become like God and become an ultimate creator, an organizer, a designer, and then you get to create worlds and you get to populate them with your spiritual creations. It's like one eternal round. There's no beginning. There's no end. And even the God that the Mormons worship today, you know, Elohim is is still becoming more perfect. This God is still progressing. Um, so there's no, there's no end to it.
3: Yeah. And Joseph Smith's uh, theology shifted a little bit during his, shifted a lot during his life. Uh, Initially he was actually fairly Trinitarian, uh, but later very much taught that the Godhead were three separate and distinct entities. So yes, Smith taught that God has a body of flesh and blood. Um, After Smith, um, There were some some shakeups in in the leadership and uh, the biggest branch that broke off uh, was the Brighamite sect, which is now kind of known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, They actually continued to teach that that Elohim or God, uh, Jehovah or Christ, were separate beings of flesh and blood and that the Holy Ghost was a separate being, but only spirit. Brigham Young went further to teach that Elohim was actually one and the same as Adam, Uh, according to Young. He was taught by Joseph Smith that Adam is, quote, our father and our God and the only God with whom we have to do with. Uh, According to to this Adam God doctrine, Adam was once a mortal man who became resurrected and exalted Uh, from another planet. He then came as Michael to form Earth and Adam was given a physical body and a spouse, Eve, uh, where they became mortal by eating the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. After bearing mortal children and establishing the human race, Adam and Eve returned to their heavenly thrones, where Adam serves as God and is the heavenly father of humankind. Later, Adam returned to the earth to ancient prophets uh, and to become the literal father of Jesus. That Adam-God doctrine fell out of favor with the church after Young's death uh, and is now disavowed. But the church very much still teaches that, that God and Christ are separate beings of flesh and blood and that the Holy Ghost is a separate being of spirit. Uh, if I understand it correctly, this non-Trinitarian doctrine is one of the main reasons a lot of other Christian sects don't don't consider Mormons to be Christians.
2: I agree.
1: Wow, that's a lot of stuff I I never knew wow. about the Mormon Church. A lot of stuff. So. <laughs> yeah. So wow, yeah, great, yeah, great way of putting that out there. Um, so in his book, uh, The Gods of Eden, the author William Bradley, uh, Bradley, sorry, wrote that Joseph Smith claimed the migrants from the land of Israel arrived over here in saucer-shaped submarines, the, under God's direction, of course. Uh, he said this happened around 600 B.C. and that they landed in Mexico, which Smith thought happened right after the Tower of Babel event.
0: So you're saying that. Uh, that makes me think of the Atrahasis, uh, in the Sumerian and um, Babylonian myth of the Ark uh, that was built by Zia Sudra. It was said to be submersible. Uh, many people don't know that, but in, in this myth, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a submarine. It's not a, a boat. Now, what you're alluding to here sounds quite similar to that and makes you think that submarines uh, were actually in existence at the time of these ancient peoples. And I think that's what we're trying to underscore here.
1: Yeah, precisely. Uh, now, the timeframe of 600 BC doesn't line up uh, at all with the Tower of Babel, though, in, in Genesis. Uh, Regardless, Bradley goes on to say that the Book of Mormon has angels being involved in the affairs of men in ancient Mesoamerica. Now, according to Zechariah Sitchin, in his book, The Lost Realms, uh, these would have been the Anunnaki, the same god beings of ancient Mesopotamia. In most of Sitchin's work, he illustrates the syncretism of the gods among the various cultures. The Egyptian god Thoth was the Sumerian god Ningizida, who was the same as the Greek god Hermes. Who in turn was the same as the Mayan god Kukulkan and the Aztec god Quetzalcoatl. So, in Egyptian mythology, Thought was the one who oversaw the building of the Great Pyramid in Giza. And if he is the same god being as Quetzalcoatl, then he may have also overseen the construction of the Pyramid of the Sun in Teotihuacan. And base, because the base dimensions are pretty much the same, um, and Mesoamerican cultures and Egyptian cultures they did not have contact with each other and and therefore they were unable to share such knowledge so do you think that joseph smith witnessed some form of technology like alien technology when he preached about jesus christ in america
2: no i I don't think joseph believed he witnessed any alien technology he probably probably didn't recognize it when he saw it so Mm -hmm. i I don't know if his his visitation from moroni might have been some form of technology like you were explaining earlier from a hologram which is very interesting but now during his preaching days i I doubt he witnessed alien technology however he most definitely may have preached about in his sermons but not really knowing what he was describing because he was actually teaching from translations or events that occurred before his time
3: yeah and uh the the book of mormon does talk about boats uh that were made like uh, let's see, it says, quote, tight like unto a dish. Uh, and those boats were described as being able to be submerged. Uh, there are other boat. there are other parts in the, the Book of Mormon that talk about technologies or things that could be seen as technology that would have been ahead of their time. Uh, there are overall quite a few things in Mormon history that could be viewed through that lens of of technology. They just didn't have the words to describe I guess that's kind of exactly what this whole podcast is about, right? Exactly. <laughs>
0: <Good> point.
3: <laughs> I mean, how would someone living in the Stone Age or the Bronze Age have described advanced technology? How would somebody from the early 1800s have described an iPhone? Uh, there are actually some apologetic answers in Mormonism right now that ask exactly those same questions. Uh, they just ascribe their answers to supernatural b- belief rather than advanced technologies or civiliz- civilizations.
0: So now, how about the Mormon view of the spiritual world and the afterlife? Uh, it, it has some notable schematic differences that make it a heterodoxy with mainstream Christians. Um, you, you guys point out a few of these. Uh, the belief in eternal families, uh, of people uh, becoming creators of worlds. Uh, now, do they, tell me about these three realms of the universe, or is it the three realms of heaven, the three levels of heaven, the terrestrial, I think this is what it is. Uh, the terrestrial celestial and celestial um and also what about that outer darkness is that considered uh to be hell um and i know it's, it's more than just one question but they all tie in <laughs> you think there is uh an extraterrestrial route to these ideas here that's kind of the how we sum up the question there's like three questions in there if you can kind of
3: you bet uh yeah so in in mormon belief uh there are only three or four places that that people would go i'll hit the first three uh the easy ones and i'll let ryan t- <laughs> i'll let ryan tackle the last one oh, yeah,
2: uh, it's my favorite
3: <laughs> right uh but for the most part in mormon belief everyone would go to to one of three kingdoms after the judgment uh the celestial kingdom that's the highest and it's uh also further divided up into three parts the very very tippy top level is reserved for the very best of the best that will those people are the ones that would become gods and goddesses like ryan described earlier uh the other two divisions they really haven't been detailed out uh the next level down is the terrestrial kingdom and that uh has generally been talked about for people that were pretty good people um but there's a quote that says good people quote, but were blinded by the craftiness of men, uh, and thus rejected the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ when it was presented to them. So that would include people who rejected the testimony of Jesus in the flesh, but afterwards received it uh, in the spirit world, and those who are not valiant in the testimony of Jesus after having received it. The lowest kingdom is the telestial kingdom, and that'll be full of those who receive not the gospel of Christ, nor the testimony of Jesus. It will also include, quote, liars and sorcerers and adulterers and whoremongers and whoever loves and makes a lie, uh, as well as murderers and idolaters. Uh, it is interesting, though, in, in Mormon theology that all all three of these kingdoms are labeled as degrees of glory and that each of these, even the lowest is better on uh, better than life on earth by orders of magnitude. Is there any extraterrestrial route to these ideas? There definitely could be, I don't know. I know that when I was a Mormon, I always tried my hardest to reconcile my, my personal religious belief with accepted science. And I know I for sure gave, gave some thought to, to whether, the afterlife could be something like quantum multiverses or something like that. I don't know.
2: Well, uh, yeah. Outer darkness, Mormon hell, right? So it's, it's a special place for the very few who commit this unforgivable sin. And it's a, it's a sin that's so grievous that even Jesus Christ could not die for it on the cross. Um, the, the inhabitants are labeled as the sons of perdition and not only our, their sins won't be forgiven, but you won't be resurrected with a body. So, and you just stay in spirit form. So, no, no godhood for you. You're 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 done progressing. And we could do a whole podcast on the topic of heaven and hell, I'm sure. But the, the unforgivable sin I, I was I just mentioned is that you had you had received the, the witness of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Ghost, and then you denied that testimony of Jesus Christ. And you no longer um, believe in it. You, you know, you reject it, and that's what—that's how you get cast out in the outer, outer darkness. You know, it's, it is really disconcerting to me that I am now considered, you know, uh, a son of perdition in the Mormon faith. I, um, and I guess Mike and I were outer darkness brothers, right? Exactly. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you guys are screwed. yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're all screwed, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, we. We just because, you know, I think it's it's just the old um, just Mike and I, we just know all the Mormon secrets and, and we just deny the the validity of the faith system. We, we just refuse to believe it or live it anymore.
0: So you guys, I'm, I'm going to ask the final question here and it may seem like a loaded one, but I, I think it will help bring this whole topic to a summit. Um, was it these astral extraterrestrial aspects uh, to mormonism that led you down this path of inquiry into your faith and have brought you to this point uh, of discovering it lacked veracity and validity maybe to ask it another way when did you come to realize that you could no longer find the personal justification in your beliefs to continue living as mormons after so many years of being a part of it you no
2: know, joseph smith had many experiences i i I have no right to judge or deny he had. They were probably of a personal nature, um, and I just came to realize that Joseph Smith's experience, his experiences, really had nothing to do with my life and my experience in life. You know, I, I I laid in bed or walked out in the middle of the you know in the desert, tried to get alone and asked God many many times to send me an angel or a messenger or some kind of sign just to help me cross that that line of faith and cross into a, a real knowledge of, of existence, like of, of afterlife and God, and just those answers. Now, I'm a very analytical guy. I, I just wanted proof to any any truth claims that any other person would have. And so I started to doubt many of the truth claims that Mormonism, and with after, after hours of studying and, and research, I found that the Mormon organization and the church and and their leaders really whitewashed the history of the church and all their origin stories, and it just—it just became very dishonest to me. And that's, you know, honesty is a huge core value. And so, in short, I believe George, Joseph Smith lied at what he had happened, or he made everything up in a really crazy, you know, magical mindset of a way. You know, on, on a personal note, um, the church did not fulfill my core values as a basic human being. You know, the older I got, I as I matured into a husband and a father, it was, it was harder for me to identify with, with the Mormon culture of the patriarch and misogyny and the homophobia and all their civil rights issues. Uh, and, you know, and the family shunning of, of leaving is, is real. Um, you know, I lost, I lost years. I lost 25 years of a relationship with my older brother, just because he, because he's a, a gay man and that's you know forbidden in the church. And much of the, and I'm sure Mike has some experiences he could share about, some of that but you know the the epiphany for me joe was in 2002 my daughter was born and i remember holding her in the hospital on that very first day and thinking at such a huge disadvantage she being born a woman in the mormon religion and that she wasn't going to have the same opportunities as her brothers and that was really the start of my faith crisis and with that huge, even with that huge epiphany, it still took me 12 years to transition out of the church.
0: Wow, that's a that's a very profound uh, statement, a very candid and, and very personal, um, you know, testimony there. Uh, Mike, how about you?
3: Uh, you know, for me personally, um, and I'll give I'll give the condensed version, although it <laughs> won't see it won't seem like the, the condensed version. Uh, but it, it basically for me came down to how uh, I evaluated truth. Um, I was told my entire life that Mormonism was true. I was told that I could know if it was true by communicating directly with God and that he would communicate directly back to me through my feelings and and my personal spiritual confirmations. I could know that the Book of Mormon was true if I prayed about it and had a spiritual feeling that it was true. Um, I eventually found some, some church history that challenged those personal spiritual confirmations. Basically, I found out that there were things that objectively could not be true that I had gotten a personal confirmation that they were. Uh, And those things that I had learned uh, were some pretty disturbing actions and teachings from early church members. You know, when when you're told that Joseph Smith was God's chosen mouthpiece who communicated in person with Jesus, but then found out that as a 37-year-old, he polygamously married a 14-year-old. Or... The history of racism that i thought I you know i was taught that it was a mistake from way back in the past but that there were church leaders just before i were i was born that taught that my beautiful adopted black daughter couldn't get into the celestial kingdom unless she went there as a servant i realized that those personal spiritual experiences weren't a good standard of evidence and i fell down a rabbit hole of researching all of the other things i thought were true it was a pretty rough time. My, my whole worldview, uh, my belief system, and almost my entire social structure disappeared overnight. Uh, gratefully, my wife uh, actually led the way out. And we were able to support each other a lot. Um, it's it's interesting that a lot of us Exmos, uh, uh, sons of perdition, can connect pretty quickly because we have very similar experiences with leaving, and we either have that that shunning, that familiar shunning. Uh, the soft or hard shunning by family and friends. And it's it's definitely a resilience test for sure.
0: That's de- that definitely a profound uh, statement, and uh, very candid and um, very forthcoming, a, a very personal uh, side to it. I mean, you guys both have really personalized um, your explanation of what Mormonism meant to you guys as individuals.
1: Yeah that indeed that was uh that's powerful that's uh thanks for sharing that Mike. great testimony there. Well, I don't know about you Joe but I'm finding that uh much about what we've heard on the last two shows is very reminiscent of what we've affirmed in the theory of the ancient alien astronauts. It uh, it appears that Mormonism may hold a lot of secrets about how extraterrestrial encounters may have formed the basis of the faith um that so many people in the world live by. So if if I were to say that there was a religion that would match the ancient alien hypothesis, I think it would be Mormonism. So uh, the only one I, only other one I can think of would be Scientology. Um, but
0: well, we don't want to go there. <laughs> um, <laughs> next but up, uh, your next
2: episode. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we can really see from uh, how religious ideas and theological doctrines were very much derived from older uh, source material in which alien encounters could have been iterated into people's belief frameworks and i think this has been a, a very illuminate very illuminating uh episode two episodes and has helped us um help give us a new perspective to the possible notion of humanity's uh extraterrestrial history it's like another clue uh, it's given us another angle by which to look at this so and uh, that is all the time we have for today everyone uh Ryan, Mike, it was truly a pleasure to have the two of you uh, on the show. I've learned a lot from our discussions and I think our listeners really benefited from the knowledge and testimony uh, that you've shared in these two episodes. It definitely brought a good bit of enlightenment here. Uh, So thank you so much, uh, both of you for, for being with us.
1: Yeah, guys. uh, Yeah, it was really a a privilege. We learned a lot um, coming from you guys. it, It says a lot that, um, yeah, stuff that I never even knew of in the Mormon church. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks for being with us for these two shows and sharing with us, not only your fantastic expertise, but for giving a personal side to it that that made it relevant and meaningful to to everyone. Uh, so thanks again. Thanks a million.
2: Hey, yeah. I'm glad to have this opportunity. Thanks, Lori and Joe. Um, just to share my experience about the Mormon belief system, it's, it is a fascinating religion and, I just, the magical mindset required to believe in its teachings is really kind of out of touch with the reality in real life. and The the cognitive dissonance required to make all of it work out in your head is is so exhausting. Um, You know, it's, but I've I've kind of learned today, like you said, it's, it's, it is kind of more believable when you apply this alien theory to it. It's easier to kind of wrap your brain around. So that was, that was interesting. So thanks for having me. I, I did learn a lot too.
3: Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I have really had a good time uh, coming on this podcast. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Yep, yeah, it really was. So, folks, don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram and give us your questions as well as any comments about the show. If you've enjoyed this discussion, and as I'm sure you did, because we did, uh, give us a like and some feedback. Uh, we always appreciate that.
0: Yes, we certainly do appreciate it. And we're always open to suggestions about our format and topics here on Alien Talk Podcast. Uh, Please tune in next week as we look into the scriptural versions, uh, visions of the end times, uh, the vision versions of the end times, and how they may reveal that one day our ties with our ancient ancestors may be brought about into full circle. Until then, everyone, stay safe, stay peaceful, and as always, stay curious. So long, everyone. Bye,
1: everyone. Thanks again for joining us.